Welcome to Torah Smash, the podcast for nerdy Jews, where our lives of Jewish learning collide with our love of nerd culture. In each episode, we discuss what we lovingly call a Torah Smash, which we have defined as a beautiful collision of one thing from the world of Judaism with another from nerd culture. I am Barack Malkin, and joining me today are... Ethan Lane Miller. RDY. So... I recently returned from my first in-person classes for my master's program with Spurtis Institute. and with, Great program. Yeah, so good. I came away with so many valuable lessons for my work and my life. And as a nice bonus, I left with about a dozen new ideas for future episodes, which was great. One of the things we discussed in both of the classes by chance was the idea of resilience. Resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity and negative emotional experiences. In the class on major Jewish value concepts with Dr. Jane Shapiro, she's a new fan, by the way. So hi, Jane. How you doing? Hi, Dr. Shapiro. (laughs) uh, Yeah, you don't know her. We're on a first name basis. Right, I don't know her. You have to be a little more respectful, Rabbi. We learned that Knowing how your family and your ancestors weathered difficult times can help to foster resilience. Hearing about these stories as kids and learning how they were overcome can instill this idea of, oh, they did that? I guess I'm capable of doing that as well. Judaism has a regular practice of sharing stories of the difficult times our ancestors faced and how they overcame them. In fact, there were so many examples that I'm just going to say, quote, insert Jewish history here, quote, and be done with that. <laughs> I had the epiphany in class. Wait, we can I, we can do that? We can do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll take care of that in post. Oh, man, my next yeah. Spurtis paper is going to be so short. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had this epiphany in class that I think it may be one of the driving pieces that perhaps has helped to ensure the survival of the Jewish people is that, you know, we share the stories and struggles from our ancestors, and maybe that has made us more resilient. Slaves in Egypt, destruction of the temples, Holocaust, etc. So with that, what TV show are we going to talk about, which also utilizes the idea of the struggles of their ancestors to help the main character be more resilient? Get it, RDY. Oh, it's Echo. It is. Yeah. Today, we are going to explore the resilience created by the stories of the ancestors of the newest Marvel spotlight hero, Echo. Uh, I'm kind of sad because I was watching this and thinking of smashes. Yeah. (laughs) As something for you to do. There are so many great things. I mean, it's such a great show. It makes me feel like, oh, Marvel's back. Yeah. I like the spotlight. I don't know what the real difference is between a spotlight and just a show. But it really had me leaving wanting more of the side characters of her story. It was a really nice side quest. So Marvel Uh, Spotlight was originally a comic book anthology. So I assume that that's what they're naming their production company or production arm for. But it was a you would get a graphic novel and it would be like, let's test out a new character. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It seemed like low stakes, right? The TV shows, the movies, the previous ones, all were pretty high stakes in each scenario. This felt like a really nice way to explore somebody who's not central to the rest of the universe. And I'm really looking for more of these in the future. I hope so. Ethan, did you get to watch it too? 
Yeah, so I am proudly one episode in. Nice. <laughs> uh, but what I have seen, I have really, really liked. Like, I'd say like the first third to half, I was like, okay, another hero with trauma. And then we got to Oklahoma and the story changed. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. I'm really liking this. <laughs> Were we all familiar with Echo previously or was the Hawkeye show the first introduction? For me, it was in Hawkeye. For me, it was in Daredevil comic books. And I always thought that she was Latin because Maya Lopez. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was first introduced in Hawkeye. But when people pop up, I often do research and read some extra stuff. So then I got a little more familiar in the past few years. But yeah, so good. All right, so let's jump into this. So I was confident that this was the theme of the series when I realized that each episode is named for an ancestor of Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo, who overcame some difficult situation. So what were, I guess, more for RDY because, well, Ethan, you have one episode to respond with. So just for you and the other slackers, spoilers ahead. What are some of the struggles from her family history that really spoke to you that you think helped to emphasize her resilient nature? Can we start with her own struggles? Because... Yeah, sure. I mean, she is doubly challenged. One, by being deaf, and the other, by being an amputee. And the challenges that she's facing, and perhaps her own mental block, the kind of like me versus the world attitude that she starts with, makes it hard for her to access her ancestors at first. But you know, when, when I think about, I don't remember in the comic books, Echo having a prosthetic leg, but I do remember her being deaf because I remember an issue where she had some sort of device that set off a screeching alarm and Daredevil with his enhanced hearing was totally incapacitated so she could, you know, kick his butt and go. Fun. Yeah. So I, in your question, Brock, mm -hmm perhaps unsurprisingly, took a completely different perspective on it. And I filled in a bunch of gaps. Now, granted, I'm only one episode in, but I just thought of the history of Native Americans in America and immediately thought of all of the hardships that I am assuming her ancestors and honestly not that distant relatives had to go through. I mean, we as Jews are very familiar with the concept of generational trauma, and I have to assume that that's something that she carries as well. She's carrying the trauma of what happened with her in the first episode. We saw her childhood, but also the generations upon generations of mistreatment at the hands of the American government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great and you know, they're minority within the United States. And I can only assume that in addition to these stories that she has of her specific generational tree that she likely right, they have the powwow. They're planning this Choctaw powwow throughout the series. And they have this celebration at the end. That's not about her family tree. That's about all of the Choctaw nation. And so there is a celebration of the people before as a whole. That's a great pull. I like that. It's further smashing to recognize that we celebrate within our families when we have like a life cycle event and the community of Israel celebrates with us. Every time we have a personal life cycle event, we sing the songs that say all of Israel is celebrating with us. 
Yeah, and on that one, I really liked the first episode's flashback of the ancestors to uh, Chaffa, the first Choctaw, who saved the family from the cave collapse. You know, she experienced great strength to really save all her people. And then they came out of that completely changed, right? This Mm -hmm. metaphorical traumatic experience where they then were a different people in the first members of the Choctaw Nation after coming out of the cave. I thought that one to be fascinating. Reminds me a little bit of Moses leading the slaves out of Egypt, the previous land, for them to then receive the Ten Commandments and become Jews, right? That is essentially the turning point for us. And you could use the Red Sea as the collapse of the cave if you wanted, as I guess, right, of that saving of the people. But they were all very good. Ethan, you should finish the series. And anybody listening, finish the series. It's definitely on my list. Yeah. It's so good. Really enjoyed it. I was fascinated by the Loak flashback. And I didn't see it as strategy, which is what they said later on in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it as just like down in the dirt perseverance and not letting anything get her down. Yeah, I agree. That one felt like the not the lowest stakes of the flashbacks. Like if their team didn't win, they would be what was the term exiled? Uh, they would be banished, ex- right? Exiled, banished. Yeah. yeah, they would be exiled from the tribe and. I don't know what type of area they were in, if they would have just become their own separate tribe, continued with the customs. But that one felt like more of the lowest stakes. But I still appreciated the fact of like separated from the family. And so I need to stay here type of situation. Yeah. Cool. What stories from Jewish history or text do you think have helped us to be more resilient as a Jewish people? Oh, God, it might be shorter to list the ones that haven't. You cannot take my quote, insert Jewish text here. Quote. Uh, <laughs> I mean, f- the first thing that came to mind for me was actually uh, Purim. You know, Purim. I don't know if, how familiar you all are with like this Excel spreadsheet that made the rounds on the internet a couple years ago that was like, we're going to categorize every Jewish holiday. And so many of them have to deal with, they tried to kill us and they failed. Um, yeah. And there's a few. And Purim's always, you know, it's one of my favorite holidays because I think it does a pretty good job of telling the story to everybody. If you're a kid, you have the Purim spiel. If you're an adult, you understand the parts of the holiday that are about uh, if you observe in a certain way, drinking yourself to you. What, what is it, RDY? Till you can't tell. So you can't tell the difference between Mordechai and Haman. Yeah, it's a, it can be a fun time if you want it to be. <laughs> and it's all centered around this theme of the Jews were in trouble and we persevered. Yeah, I've actually I was in a class at my temple. The parents of the kindergarten class get together once a month and there's a teaching paired with what the kids are learning about. Not that the kids were learning about the stuff, but the rabbi had brought in that same Excel spreadsheet where it said the holiday and it said, I think it was like they tried to kill us. We live. Let's eat. Let's eat. Yeah. Uh, the other columns were trees exclamation point as if like there's something to do with the earth in some way and i forget what the last one was but it's it's on, it's my, fa- it's on my phone somewhere we'll yeah it's it. a fascinating look at judaism i love judaism boiled down to an excel spreadsheet yeah i think the idea of intergenerational understanding of purim is great and i'll say there's always something that we might not even get as adults like when the jews go on a murdering spree of haman's children 
Yeah, we we do tend to leave that part out. Yeah, right. I mean, adult children, let's be fair, but still. There's a lot of that left out. Oh, yeah. For me, the thing that calls out to the generations, if we are the kind of person who prays every day three times a day, then we say their names three times a day. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, and I add Bilha and Zilpa acknowledging the two Imahot, the two ancestral mothers who we've been leaving out ever since we started adding the other ancestral mothers, even though between the two of them, they are uh, the mothers of one quarter of the tribes of Israel. Yeah, I think that I always remember, if I'm talking about this idea of remembering the past to give us resilience, the idea that for many prayers, it's not that they were freed from Egypt, is that I was freed from Egypt. It's putting us in the story and giving us this connection to those people, that place that I stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, that I was there when we received the Ten Commandments. I like. There's a lot of language that places us into those instances, just like how Echo had these flashbacks and she felt like she was in those instances. I think that's something that always speaks to me in terms of when I think about the history and ups and downs of Jewish text. It's or the so Jewish people. I, yeah. If I may just speak to one thing you said during the prayers that we're supposed to remember that. And yes, there are a couple where, well, Fehafta specifically, where it says, I led you out of Egypt to be your God. But the where that really comes up is in the Passover Seder. Oh, yeah. That's, I, yeah, I didn't talk say, about. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about like generational learning and being, you know, even there's a midrash about the the four children where like they don't just represent a personality style, but they represent generations where the eldest mm. is, say, the great grandfather, then the grandfather, then the father, then the son, who all have different reactions to the Passover Seder. Did we? I think you mentioned that in our South Park episode. I think so, but yeah. I figured a breeze through now. Yeah. Would be okay, for for those people who don't all, you know, just in case Jason missed a couple of episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the Passover Seder is what I think of. I I may have referred to language from prayers, but those lines really come out annually at the Passover Seder, and that's what makes me think of it for a lot. Sure. And also, like Passover Seders are like that's the well my parents used to do this and your parents say well my grandparents used to do that and your grandparents used to say well my parents used to do that and we go back and back and back and like the customs that we have sitting around our passover table today yeah are the same as what was learned and they may be totally different from our next door jewish neighbors who learned something totally different or because they're sephardi or because they're mizrahi or have a different you know choices yeah Uh, Even more recently, and while I didn't know about this direct link as a kid, I learned about it as I got slightly older, but my aunt was on the kinder transport from Austria during World War II. And those stories are, I think, valuable and important in terms of modern retelling of the hardships and the struggles and what was overcome if we still have relatives that are sharing the stories of their experience during the Holocaust and World War II. I think those are also ones that speak to me and and I think are important to help keep the Jewish people resilient as we move forward. Yeah. I mean, what do we do when we lose the first-hand accounts? I think the Jewish people are really good storytellers. I think it might be more difficult for some of the younger generations as they come up to realize how non-fictional these retellings are right? As we get further away. 
But I think there's a lot of organizations out there doing a lot of hard work to hold on to these stories and make sure that we have them for next generations. I mean, Spielberg Foundation is the major one. They've been actively seeking out stories to record them on film, tape, however you want to say it. Nice. Um, you know, we've reported my father-in-law extensively, a blessed memory. When, when he was alive, we would tape him saying his story as often as we could. Yeah, I've thought about doing that with my dad. He wasn't a survivor of the Holocaust, but I don't have a like, I wish I could have done that with my mom. Just asked her some random questions from stories I don't know or things that I might not remember just to have some remnants. And so I want to do that with some of my other close relatives where I just hop them on a Zoom like this and ask them some questions for myself and my children. And yeah. Yeah. My sister Elizabeth has actually been encouraging me to write down stories and memories I have of Kaya, Mm -hmm. because at a certain point, those are going to be not as fresh in my memory. It's true. And they make products now. None of them are sponsors of our show. We don't have sponsors. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to be one, please send an email. <laughs> but if if you you send in and like they send like a weekly question to the gift recipient. Mm-hmm. And then after a year, they present like a bound book. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Sounds really cool. Yeah. So as I said, this topic was talked in both of my classes. And so while I started talking about the first class, the class with Dr. Jane Shapiro in my other class at Spurtis with Stefan Teodosic on management and supervision, we learned that one of the things that helps to build resilience is gratitude, which I think is pretty mirrored in the Jewish side of hearing the stories of survival and perseverance. We are thankful to have come through the other side from that hardship. I know that Judaism says that we should say 100 prayers a day to be appreciative and grateful for what we have. But I'm curious, what are some gratitude practices that you have in your life? Asking the easy questions, Barack. Yeah, I? (laughs) I, I just make a point to say thank you as often as I can. In fact, there is a an aphorism that thank you is the simplest blessing. And I feel incredibly lucky that my children are very good at saying thank you. And to me, that's a blessing in and of itself. And I I do acknowledge that sometimes they do it to be funny. Like they think that saying thank you four times during a meal is a form of self-entertainment. But at the same time, they're doing it. You know, they're thanking both Natalie and me for taking them out or for providing the food or for sitting with them for cooking. And I think that's like, I feel very blessed to know that they seem appreciative. And then to double down, one of my favorite authors is AJ Jacobs. And he has a great book called Thanks a Thousand, where he is presented a morning cup of coffee by his wife and he thanks her. And then he thinks to himself, hey, who else should I thank for this cup of coffee? I mean, yes, she made the cup of coffee, but she didn't grow the beans, et cetera, et cetera. So he goes on a quest to find everyone responsible for the morning cup of coffee from the bean growers and roasters and truck drivers to the ceramic artisans who made the mug. It's a wonderful book. Oh, very fun. That's great. So in, I guess it was November, late November, My boss, shout out to Jessica, actually gave all of us in the office an assignment. We made a big, like, kind of post-it board, Mm -hmm. 
and every morning when we got to work and every evening when we left, we wrote down one thing that we're thankful for. And the post-it is very rapidly running out of space. And the the size that we're writing with is shrinking to fit everything in. And, you know, the point of the exercise, I suppose there are several points of the exercise. One of the points of the exercise is, you know, sometimes it is easy to recall what you're thankful for. And sometimes it takes a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. It's all equally valid, but it, it's been an interesting exercise of, of what do you do when you're faced with, okay, I must be intentionally thankful and appreciative right now. What is the thing I'm thankful and appreciative for? And my answers have ranged everywhere from my family, my friends, my loved ones to burritos. <laughs> That's a good- It's important good... to be thankful for burritos. Yeah. It's a food where you eat the container that the food is in. They're amazing. You can do that with ice cream cones. I'm thankful I mean, for ice cream cones. It's, I mean, yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it is, it is holding and chip witches and Choco Tacos. Oh, I miss yeah. Choco Tacos. I mean, I, it feels like an American thing. It's obviously not American, but like I invented a food where you eat the container it's in. Like that feels like it should be American. <laughs> um, my family started something with our kids. I don't know if I've mentioned this before. Every Friday, when we actually do sit down for Shabbat dinner, the first thing we do before we do the prayers is we pass around the Sadaka box and we ask everybody to say something they're grateful for or something nice they did for somebody else. And I didn't realize that we were doing this practice to make resilient children, but I'm so excited because that was one of our hopes was that we have children who become resilient. And the fact that we're doing this practice of gratitude and it will eventually also make them resilient, I'm super excited by. But that's something that... I saw my kids change their understanding for of what gratitude means. So I'm, that's a nice practice that we do. Can we think of moments in the Echo series where there's gratitude? Yeah, where they're about to be killed and and then it gets called off. You're watching them being held at gunpoint. Sorry, Ethan. You're watching them be held at gunpoint and you're like, I cannot think of any way they're going to get out of it. I'm not aware of anybody who's waiting in the wings. I'm not aware of any superhero who's going to come yeah. flying down in a way that would make sense. I have no idea how they're going to get out of this. Ring, ring, ring. Hello? Oh, mm. yeah. Sorry. Unclick the gun and, you know, you lucked out this time. Yeah. A, like a little I, that bit was, of a... That was, I can't... I don't even have to watch the episode now. That was perfect <laughs> for telling. No, there's some good it's tension. A, it, yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a deus ex machina, but it's still like, it works. And it, it wasn't what I thought was going to happen, which I always like. Yeah, ditto. If I think about gratitude moments, I think about the conversation in the first episode at the very beginning when they're sitting around the campfire... And the grandfather, Scully, is telling a story about a relative, I think. And he says that everybody should love something that much, right? Mm -hmm. That this appreciation for the things in your life. And he gives a tap to Chula sort of to show her that he loves her and appreciates her. I think there is that sense. And from that point on, they're not together. Right. But (laughs) I think there's a nice sense there that there's this appreciation. And I think Biscuits, who best as Ethan, you have not met Biscuits yet. Biscuits, hands down, best character in the show. He is somebody that while easily, maybe easily manipulated into doing what others have wanted, I think he's got this unending joy in him that helps his optimism. Like to be that happy, I think he's got to have a lot of gratitude in his life for the things that he has. He was so excited to see Maya when she came back and his care for Billy Jack in every instance of danger. It's just, I think he shows a lot of gratitude throughout, whether he says it or not. 
I will also say for Maya, I am grateful for the fact that the rest of her world that is filled with hearing people speak sign language. And there's a point that's made at the end of like, you don't even care about me enough to learn mm-hmm. sign language where Kingpin kind of cheats to, yeah. to be able to communicate with her. And as someone who I grew up with, my mom's first cousin is deaf. And even that is not a correct description of the relationship. So mom or whoever's listening, I know. Um, but, <laughs> um, but he was kind of peripheral to our life. And then when I was in high school and learned sign language for a show, it became whenever he was around, I was the one who would communicate with him because his parents and I were the ones who spoke sign language. Mm. And there's definitely a feeling among the deaf community, like at least try. You know, yeah, like don't force them. And and for that, I was thankful. And I was also thankful for the quality of sign language in the series that like Coda and Echo are the two best movie slash shows so far that, uh, in use of sign language and like really doing ASL properly. And, you know, I'm not including John Wick because that's not real sign language. It was their own sign language. But, you know, giving that respect to ASL and the deaf community, I think, is as important as the respect it gave to the Choctaw Nation. Yeah, I've been curious about that RDY, like how accurate it was. Yeah, and it was, there was, it was incredible. Yeah. And I saw something that showed that if there were parts of it, it was like, oh, God, some of them are not smooth in this. You think they'd be better. It feels like poor acting, but that was intentional because yeah. in a family where somebody uses sign language, there's varying levels of degrees of understanding of this other language. And so some of yeah. them extremely fluent talk very quickly with it and others move slowly, think about what the next word is to be able to communicate with Maya correctly. And so I like that oh, gosh, yeah. that's I, I like really that cool. It really yes. was a good insight. And, the grandfather was the one who would kind of like, it kind of felt like sometimes he was making up a sign and sometimes he would just fingerspell. And the cousin would sign slowly and then talk slowly because he was signing slowly. You talking about biscuits I, or the... No, the one who ran the roller rink. Henry. 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 Yeah. But, but I think you're right. I think it's a sign of good acting, not bad acting that he's, and maybe it just as a person, he, the actor is just not as fluent as sign language, which I would say as a director, I would allow that to happen organically for people to portray the way a family is, like you said. Yeah. I thought once I heard that I had a much deeper appreciation for those pauses and intentionality that mm-hmm. some of them fluent, others struggled, kingpin didn't at all, as she mentioned, right? I think she had said, you didn't even care enough to try. And everybody else in her life is attempting through what they struggle with for her. And it really shows the care that they have for her. Totally agree. And I think that's what a family is all about. And that's generational. To be able to take those things that we pass down. And sometimes we pass them across. Yeah, I think what I would hope that most families have that in other aspects of whatever the person brings to the family, that the Mm -hmm. the ones close to you are the ones who will understand the most and practice that language that you need to communicate with the rest of your family, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. And that when it goes beyond, 
you'll have those that fake it or find ways around it as a cheat and others who just won't be able to communicate with you at all and just don't understand who you are. And so I like that also as a mimic of the rest of society. Yeah. So what you're saying is it's a metaphor. Ooh, yes. A hundred percent. Like all superhero comics. All right. So I don't think Maya's story in Echo is unique. I think that many superheroes grow from the strength of knowing their family's history. So I want to ask you, what other superheroes do you think have become resilient because they have learned about their family history? My knee jerk is the thing. I mean, Barack, you know better than anyone about my passion for issue 485 of the Fantastic Four when the thing comes out as Jewish. And I don't know if it's because he learned his family's history or because he became impassioned about it or what, but it is definitely a sense of history that brought him back to that pawn shop to return the Jewish star and get involved down at Yancey Street. And and the thing has always been kind of that character who's represented Judaism. How about you, Ethan? You know, it's interesting. I've got a couple answers kind of floating around. And the first one I thought was kind of, ugh, but... I'm going to go with a slightly less direct answer. And I'm going to say Loki from the MCU when for him, his family is his variants. Oh, the variants. Yes. Him is seeing his variants, seeing all the other possibilities really is part of what fuels him and changes him. And I think gives him the strength to how many centuries did he spend studying quantum mechanics? Was it three? It was a long time. Yeah. Like, I I don't think I could have done that for three centuries. Hmm. Interesting. That something made him that resilient and passionate to continue on. I Two, thought you were going to okay. go a different direction with Loki. Please. Because in uh, Ragnarok, when they meet Hela, they get their minds blown by a new version of family history. So I, I that's where I thought you were going to go with that. Or, you know, you can even go another way with Loki. I'm thinking about with like... Mobius learning about his life on the sacred timeline. Right. Um, I found two that I liked. One was Iron Man 2, when he discovers his dad's videos and learns more about his dad and what he had done. And then, you know, eventually there's a little nod that he, you know, talks to his son where Howard speaks to Tony as if he was going to watch it and get some a little heart to heart there, but he is rewatching these videos of his dad's struggles and that eventually helps push him through. The other one, which I like a lot more is hundred percent Superman because part of Superman's training as ordered by his holographic dad was to learn his family's history of Krypton and his ancestors while he was in the fortress of solitude. And so he has this huge wealth of knowledge of his people, and that strengthens him of where he came from and what he's capable of. His people were destroyed, but he is here and he has survived and Krypton will continue on through him. There's this shit. Granted, he's Jewish. We've talked about this. So it's our story. But that one feels more spot on to me than the other. Or as Marlon Brando would say, Krypton. (laughs) Yeah. Why did I not think of Luke Skywalker as somebody whose entire story changed once he found out about his family history? Yeah, why yeah, didn't we, you? Go ahead. Go ahead no, no, no. Okay. why didn't you? Why didn't you <laughs> yeah. do that? What, what was wrong with me? What was wrong with me? Yeah, um, you know, characters whose entire trajectory changed when I found out about their family history, like it's Luke and Leia. Their whole 
thing, like their whole story changed when they find out about their family history and who they're from. You know, we see Luke really take off in the original series, not in the original series at Star Trek. In the original trilogy, we really see Luke take off when he finds out about his history. Leia finds out about it so like near the end of Return of the Jedi, but one of the wonderful things about the sequel trilogy is seeing her embracing her family history as well and just being an incredible Jedi. Nice. I'm glad you were able to find a way to bring Star Wars into this. Look, if I couldn't do Star Trek, I had to do this. Great. Before we like wrap out, what were some of your favorite parts of the Echo series? I already mentioned Biscuits as as 100% my favorite character. I love, Ethan, you'll love this. The slow drive past the grandma, Chula, was great. It was so uncomfortably long that I laughed out loud pretty hard. That was a fantastic shot. Yeah. And I feel like any of the three of us, if we got caught doing something we were not supposed to do by an elder that we respect, we would all have Biscuit's reaction. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so uh, good. I know that I try to smile at my mother when she's mad at me. <laughs> I mean, again, yeah. I'm playing at a disadvantage here, but yeah. I thought the real long fight scene in the first episode. Mm-hmm. That was cool. It made me feel like I was watching like old school Daredevil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you and, seen, and when you say old school, you don't mean Ben Affleck. No, I uh, mean Charlie Cox. Yeah. I mean oh, the Netflix, not canon, school. but maybe now actually canon. We're not sure yet. No, now canon. It's on the Disney Plus. It's contingent canon. Ooh, well, yeah. that makes me and, happy. And, and with Charlie Cox in No Way Home, and then the Daredevil cameo in this with Charlie Cox, like that was some great fight scene for me the moment that was like callbacky in this was when her dad touched her face and he had blood on his hand and he left the handprint mm-hmm. which is like echo sigil yeah so i i thought that was cool that's nice there were a few things i caught that i want to mention so that it's kept on the record before something else comes out three things first the blue water in the flashbacks to me resembled something very similar to the blue water from the what if episode with uh, Kahori. Yeah. So I wasn't um, going to ask, but you brought it up. So is there yeah. a connection or is it just. So the, the aside from Bonnie from this show, the best friend, Bonnie voices Kahori in the what if series. But okay. aside from that, they did not mention anything, but it would explain, it would help to explain at least, that when the cave collapses and they're all sort of forced down into the water area, that they are transformed through space into another land, right? And then their skin dries up because they're in this new sun, this new environment. Part of me wants to think that it is some sort of tesseract infected water that allows them to transport out of the cave when the cave collapses. But Kahori is a mohawk. Uh, yeah, it's and- a different... And I don't know where in the United States that is located, but that's a what if. Maybe this is somewhere else where it landed sort of situation. Um, So that was one. Two, I enjoyed meeting the Black Knife Cartel in this series, and it gives me hope that the Bullseye from the Daredevil series is going to show up in uh, Daredevil Born Again. And I think there have been rumors that 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 actor is going to show up again. But if they've reintroduced the Black Knife Cartel, he's part of that in the comics. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, this is a huge spoiler for you. I am so sorry, Ethan, and for everyone else who has not finished, but it's been two weeks. Wait. So, are you t- Ethan has removed his headphones. So the end of the episode, 
it's obvious that Kingpin is going to run for mayor of New York. And he was on the phone talking about the other heads of the count. I'm assuming that's the nine heads for those that are familiar. My guess, there's other things to it. I'll get to in a second. My guess is that Kingpin bought Stark Tower, or at least the nine heads bought Stark Tower, which would also explain that perhaps that's why his eye patch is reminiscent of some of the Edith technology that Parker had in Far From Home. It really looked like the Edith technology. Maybe within Stark Tower, they found some tech, etc. Or maybe he's just stolen tech from Stark in some way that I think Kingpin bought Stark Tower and that's going to be his home base in New York in the future. That's what I'm saying. I think that's a good guess. You make a lot of guesses and I, I can't remember any of them being correct. They've all been right. But... <laughs> I? All of them have been right. That's good. But um... there's no there's no way to check it. There's absolutely but, no but... way to go back and listen. I will say Kingpin stealing Stark Tech is very on brand. Yeah, absolutely. Whether or not he got it from Stark Tower. Yeah, I also think that his eye is being healed by the same technology that was used in Age of Ultron that -hmm. like healed Hawkeye's side, which eventually also built Ultron's body that like repairing skin concept, repairing the body concept from Dr. Cho. I think that's from there. Okay, Ethan, headphones back on. What's was funny is they were like motioning at their ears to be like, you can put your headphones back on. I was like, why are they acting like monkeys? What what are, what are we doing here? And I was like, oh, no, they're they're getting me. Anything else that anybody wants to mention from the Echo series? I'm excited to see where it goes again. I, you know, really setting aside Loki season two. I'm really excited for for the series in a way that I haven't for some of the more recent Marvel TV shows. Like I was looking forward to this anyway. And then the kind of the second half of the first episode really kind of got me pulled on in. And I was like, oh, yeah. So yeah, very much uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. I so I, I but listeners, by the next time you hear from <laughs> me, I will definitely have watched this. <laughs> Maybe not um, the next time, but at least two times. From shh, don't ruin the secret. <laughs> We're recording right after this. They don't need to know. Maybe um, by the time they hear you now, you will have seen it. Actually, yeah, I'll <laughs> say that. By the time you're listening to this, I will have watched it. you're listening to the past, yeah. listener, and we're watching now, now. Oh, these are the echoes of our stories. I was going to go there. Yeah. There's one more quote that I'll mention, and then we can close out, from Fisk to Maya. He said to her, quote, you have greatness in you. Take your hurt, your loss, take your pain, make it into something useful. Granted, he was talking about revenge, but in terms of what we're talking about in resilience and the stories of your hurt, your pain, your loss, and make it into something useful, not what his intention was. He wanted vengeance. He wanted fight. She takes it, and we see she takes it and creates life and new positive change. So loved that, that his intention was not actually what she takes from it, but the absolute correct theme that she should be taking from it. Can I bring up two more Jewish smashes with generational theme? Yeah, we got time. Why not? So one is Pirkei Avot chapter one, where it's the original Shalshalat Kabbalah, the great chain of tradition, where Moses gets Torah at Mount Sinai from God. God gives it to Joshua. Joshua gives it to the elders. The elders give it to the prophets. The prophets to the great assembly. And then the great assembly is like the first we get to members of the great assembly and then they start naming rabbis who have their own teaching and they pass it on to their students who change the teaching a little and pass it on to their students and change the teaching. And it goes down to remind us that, you know, our great 
chain of tradition is sitting right there in the ark for us to access anytime we want. And the other is the concept of Lador from generation to generation, which was one of my dad's big areas of passion. He, he, was, he was such a fan of the door by door, the blessing of the, uh, of the idea that anything that we do was from generation to generation. And one of my last memories of my father is him holding my son Alex in his arms at Alex's bris. And just whispering over and over, Ladorvador, 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 and just rocking him back and forth as he, in his own way, prayed for the success of generations to come. That's a beautiful memory. So as we close out this episode, let's remember that our ancestors and those that came before us are always with us. They give us strength and direction and love. It's important that we share the stories of our ancestors with the children in our families and help them to grow to be resilient like us. This is a lesson that we've learned from our Jewish ancestors and from the ancestors of the Choctaw Nation. So thank you for that. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Torah Smash. Our fiscal sponsor is Jewish Creativity International. Our theme music was created by Sean Fogel. You can check out Sean's bands and studio work at www.thesleepywest.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen. It helps others find us and is an excellent way to support the podcast. We want to hear from you and continue today's nerdy discussion. Go to TorahSmash.com to find where to connect with us online, purchase swag from our store, support us with a donation, find previous episodes, and more. And my cousin, who's an accountant, helped me to understand the opportunity costs and benefits of learning about Maya Lopez's ancestors. So now I'm an expert in economics. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Uh, I just how... facepalmed so hard I'm going to look like Echo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you know how Echo's allowance was determined? How? Through fiscal policy. Oh. <sighs> so I don't know where you're finding these, Barack. You're I make them using, up. They are you mine. You must be using echolocation. Yeah, are... Oh. Mm. Guys, this is all getting cut. <laughs> Stop adding jokes. Stop. <laughs> <laughs>